Good morning, podcast listeners. This is Pastor George here from Tuolumne Community Baptist Church in the great city of Tuolumne, California. I hope that you're tuning in and enjoying this series that we've been in. We're in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's the book of Acts, and now today we're on chapter 9. And I, I, every time I, I come to you, I go, this is the best one of the, of the book because I love them all. But this Sunday, today, is really quite special. This is when the Apostle Paul, at this time his name is Saul, actually converts to Jesus Christ. He goes from persecuting the Christians in a horrible, horrible way to serving Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What I hope you see and get out of this is we all have a story. What is your salvation story? What was it that brought you to that point where you said, I need a Savior. I can't do this alone anymore. I hope that it renews your story and you start thinking about it. And I want you to share it with somebody. That's the point of having your salvation story is to share it. The Apostle Paul shares it over and over again throughout the Bible. Maybe you're that person who thinks that you're saved because you believe in God, you even believe in Jesus Christ, but you've never accepted him personally as your Lord and Savior. Well, let's change that today. Let's let today be the day that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's about to get started. Hang on for just a few seconds and the message will begin. There we go. So Acts chapter 9, Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is a study through the book of Acts. Every one of us, that is every one of us that's a born-again Christian, has a story. Can I get an amen? amen? You all have a story. If you're a born-again Christian, you have a story. My prayer is as we go through this chapter today, that together you will begin to recount your personal story. You realize we're not born into Christianity. For some of us, it may feel like we were because we had really good parents who raised us in church. But even if that is true, you still had to make your own commitment for Christ. What if you never really officially did that? Yeah, you know, it is possible. There are people that have, I have met people. They weren't in a Baptist church that I'm aware of, but they were in other denominations, and they said, I'd never heard that I had to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My parents took me to church. I was raised in it. I, I believe Jesus is the Father, and we believe in the Holy Ghost. He raised from the dead, but have you genuinely accepted him in your heart? It's not impossible, and it's really not as uncommon as you may think. There's a story there, especially if you've accepted him. And there's a reason why you came to that point in your life where you realized you needed a Savior. You could not do this alone. I'm setting you up because we're looking at Saul today, and Saul did not realize that he needed a Savior at this point. He truly felt he was pleasing God by cleansing the synagogue of what he felt was an illegitimate religious attack 
on his Jewish faith. I found this online. Harvest Bible Church put it out. It was wrote by Dr. Lawrence Waldy. He said, if anyone, if anyone has ever had a radical transformation of their lives, it is this man, Saul. His own testimony of his life prior to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, he gives his testimony in Acts 22, we will get there, speaks for itself. A Jew, a Jew born in Tarsus, Sicily, Sicilia, which means he was a Dispora Jew. His family was part of the exile born outside of Philistine, brought up in Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel. I've tried to think of, you know, how to get this, how big that is, being taught and mentored, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. It would, it, best for us to understand it, it would be like if I had three years to sit under Billy Graham. Just, and, and not even at his crusades, but sat sitting in his office and him mentoring me, explaining to me all the things that he knew. It's, it's an amazing, this sitting under Gamaliel was absolutely beyond uh, a good thing as far as learning the Old Testament. Strictly according to the law of the fathers, that is the Jewish law and traditions, such he was zealous for God. Although Paul was zealous for God, he hated Christ and his disciples, calling the Christian faith the way. I love that. Saul says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest of the, and the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off to Damascus, in order to bring even those who were there, some 150 miles away from Jerusalem, bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Saul was no atheist. But he was a Jew who believed strongly in the God of creation, your God, my God. He believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he believed in Moses and the law of Moses, so zealous for the law of Moses. Anyone whom Saul felt was a threat to Judaism, Judaism was literally in danger of his or her life. For Saul had it in his heart to kill all who opposed Judaism. Though his zeal was admirable, his spiritual eyes were blind. And the truth, that is, until God caught up with him. And that's what this is all about today. God's going to catch up with Saul. What a man, what a conversion. Is there anybody in your life that you think God will never be able to reach him or her? Oh, silly thing. Oh, you of such little faith, God can move mountains and change things around. I believe that it was already working in Saul's life. And I'm going to tell you this as just part of my commentary before we get started. There's a reason why Paul, Saul at this point was so angry is because how Christians were treating him with respect. Even Stephen at his stoning, he was saying, God, forgive them. This was working on the conscience of Saul. It made him angry. It made him all more the desire to kill them Christians because 
I got to cover this up. I don't know what this feeling is. So let's look at Acts 9.1. If you want to follow in your Bible, you're welcome to. Everything will be on the screen behind me. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders, a murder against the disciples of the Lord, and went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I just love it when they call it the way. There's a lot, there's actually a lot of churches in the United States that are called the way. It's just an amazing thing that he was saying. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell down to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, there's a lot of different commentaries on this. You know, because Saul was actually a Pharisee, they said he was probably on a horse. And he actually fell off his horse to the ground. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he fell to the ground. This light was so bright, so blinding that he fell to the ground. And can you imagine, while you're being blinded by this incredible light, the voice comes out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And he said in verse 5, I love this. Who are you, Lord? Why would he call him Lord? Because he knew it came from heaven and it had to be God. That's what was in his mind. Remember, he's a believer of God. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. All right. What did Jesus mean by that? Do you guys understand what it means to be kicking against the goats? Do you know what a goat is? A goad was a long stick with a sharp point on it that the farmer would carry. He had oxen, you know, pulling his, his plow or whatever he's doing, and he used the goad to get them to move or to get them to turn directions, whatever it is that he's wanting them to do. He would use this goad to poke against them. And if you, pick, if you poked an oxen with the goad, what's his first reaction? He's going to kick. At the goad, and, and unfortunately, when he kicked at the goad, he would, it would stab him because he's, he's angry and he felt it. And before the guy could pull the goad away, he would kick and it, it'd get him again. Stubborn animals kick back against the goads. Oh, think about that. Jesus was saying in that process of persecuting Christians that Saul was hurting himself. Saul, why you're kicking against the goads and he's kicking himself and it's causing, it's stabbing himself. Since he wasn't hurting himself physically, the Lord was likely referring to the impact on Saul's conscience. Why would that bother Saul? Because he's so exuberant about the Jewish faith. Instead of these Christians, instead of behaving like Criminals, Christians he arrested and imprisoned, most likely displayed grace and confidence and forgiveness. 
That's what Christians do. Stephen's words and demeanor as he was, as he was martyred. And Paul was standing there. I'm sorry, Saul. He's going to be Paul soon enough. And by the way, who gave Saul the name Paul? No one. They believe that it's probably his middle name. Saul began to call himself Paul. God called him right here, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But that's interesting. We'll get to that soon enough. So even while Saul was watching, his conscience of persecuting and vehemently kicking against the goads as he, he saw Stephen forgive him, even at that horrible sight. So let's go to verse 6. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Can you see? I don't know if you guys remember last week, we were talking about Simon. Okay, Simon, who, who was a sorcerer, became a born-again believer, and, and uh, you know, but he wasn't saying, Lord, what would you want me to do? He was saying, hey, can I buy that? Can I buy some of that Holy Spirit stuff? Because he didn't have the proper understanding, and Peter just hammered him. He said, your heart's not right. Your, mother, your money can die with you. But here we have Saul that is so totally different. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Hmm, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now, isn't that just like the Lord? He doesn't give you the whole story all at once, ever. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to start attending church over there at that little Baptist church. Why, Lord? I'm not a Baptist. Why do you want me to go over there? Why, Lord? Just go. Just go. There's lots of things. He doesn't tell us all. He said, when you get there, you'll find out. And he said the same thing to Saul. So he said, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Now, this is only a, a little tidbit. I don't think I have this next scripture in there, Tyler, for you to go to. It's Acts 22, 9. Do I have that in there? No, I, I think I forgot to put it in. But it's interesting because Paul's sharing his testimony in Acts 22. And it kind of goes against what Luke just said. And I want to explain that to you. Because Luke said, because Luke's the writer of this, they stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. But in Acts, when the Apostle Paul at this point was saying it, but those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Well, interesting. Well, why are you telling us about that, Pastor? Well, because there may be people out there who will say, I'll show you a dispute in the Bible right here. Luke said it one way and Paul said another. There's, there's a dispute. It's wrong. The Bible's wrong. It's all wrong. So what was it? Paul was there. Luke was not. Okay? He got it wrong. It's okay. He got it wrong. Paul was there. So let's go on to verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blind. 
but they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. Well, Pastor, how do you know he's blind? It didn't say he's blind. Let me read it to you out of the living translation. That'd be the next slide, Tyler. It says, 9-8 in the New Living Translation, it said, Saul picked himself up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his, command, his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Let's go to verse 9. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. This is another very interesting thing. We read by this, and we just blow right on by it. Let's get to the rest of the story. But think about it. Three days. He never ate or drank anything. I would say the man was upset. Wouldn't you agree? There's something wrong. He got visited by Jesus Christ himself. Now he knows that he is God, that he is real. And he blinded me. And you know what? He's probably thinking, God, if I live blind the rest of my life, it's fine because what I've been persecuting the church, the things that I've been doing. But God had a plan in this. Verse 10 says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. I just love how he responds. Here I am, Lord. When you hear the Lord speak to you, you best just say, here I am, Lord. Is that you? Here I am. Here I am. Because you know what? Sometimes I swear I hear an audible voice and sometimes I just know it's in my head and I still respond. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. What do I need to do? Who do I need to pray for? What should I do? It's so important that we listen. In verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. I underlined it because I think that's kind of cool. A street called Straight. That's just cool, all right? No, no big deal, but it's just a street called Straight. I like that. If I ever get to build a street, I'm going to call it Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Verse 12, he's still continuing to talk. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. He's seen you, Ananias, coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard many, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints, God, to your people in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. I think that was a legitimate um, complaint, don't you? I mean, he's saying, hey, Lord, this guy has a right to put me in jail, blind or not. He has the right. And the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles kings and children of Israel. Verse 16, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow. Wow. We don't think a lot about that scripture, but think about it. You just came to the Lord. You just accepted him. You were down here crying your eyes out. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You stand up and I'll say, now let me tell you the trouble you're going to have. Let me tell you about the persecution you're going to go through. You know, I almost had that 
conversation with Tyler, sort of. <laughs> but you, you don't know. And he's, Jesus himself is saying, I'm going to tell him all the things that he's going to have to suffer for my name. Wow. And I, Ananias, verse 17, went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him said, Brother Saul. Oh, I love that. He called him brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. There was nothing in between. Think about it. The Lord gave him this precious man, the precious disciple of Jesus Christ, obeyed God, goes and lays his hands on him, says, Brother, receive your sight. And he gets up and he says, You got to baptize me. I'm sold out. He, he is done. He's, he's not, honestly, he's not Saul anymore, even though he's still being called Saul. He's changed. He's a new creation. He gave it up. Verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul went some days and with the disciples at Damascus. Now, pay attention when it says disciples that it didn't say apostles. We get confused because the apostles were disciples. And now that Jesus Christ has died and rose again and gone, you know, except living in our hearts, they're apostles. But Disciples, he's talking about Christians there who lived in Damascus. That'll point out to you a little later. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, in the synagogues that he was, is the Son of God. Then all who heard, verse 21, were amazed. Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for the purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. Is this the same guy? Yep, it is. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confound the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, not many days passed, were passed. The Jews plotted to kill him. That does that surprise anybody? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. They plotted to kill him. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They were just waiting for him to come in or go out. They're, they're going to get him. Then his disciples, these Christians, these precious people, took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Put the next slide. It looks something like that. Now it's interesting. If you look back through history. And you know why would this person who lives on the wall. Obviously their apartment or house or whatever is attached to the wall. Most cities had walls around them for protection. And this one had to have a window that was over the wall. And they had a large basket. Do you want to know what the large basket was used for? Garbage. 
That's how they got rid of their garbage and their trash from the house, putting it in the basket, letting it down the wall and dumping it out. That's what it is. So he's kind of in a, a basket for trash. Think about it. A man of his pristine prestige, a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a man who was educated on the Gamaliel, that like the best university that the United States could offer. That's where he sat under. He was a man of respect. And now he's being lowered down in a basket of trash to get away. Oh, we fall from grace, don't we? But he knows, he knows that he is now a servant of Jesus Christ. Then the disciples, let's go to verse 25. The disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Saul escapes death here. I want to talk to you about this. Saul gives this account again. Well, let me, let me go back. What I wanted to say here, Luke doesn't make it really clear here. After they lower him down in this basket... It sounds like, if you read the Gospel of Luke, that he just moves on to Jerusalem and begins to be a minister of the Gospel. That's not what happens. I'm going to take you to Galatians chapter 1. We'll start with verse 13. This is Paul speaking now, and he's explaining this situation. What happened when he got laid down this, the wall, down the wall in this basket. Verse 13 says, For you have heard of my former conduct... In Judaism, 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 how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, and I advanced in Judaism, Judaism beyond my contemporaries. He was, he was the smartest guy in the class. He was way ahead of everybody else in his own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me through his grace. That's when he met him on the road. To reveal, to his, to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I did not immediately talk to any other people. I was lowered down in this basket. I didn't immediately speak to anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles, not just disciples, before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. Verse 19, he said that I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So what's happening here? The Lord took him to Arabia to be alone, to spend time with him. That's how Paul became Paul. He had the Old Testament down. He had it memorized. He could quote you anything from the Torah. He had it memorized. Now Jesus is mentoring him personally. No different than John at Pappas. 
He was ministering to him personally, teaching him the oracles of God and how the Old Testament was talking about Jesus Christ, the Lord. This is what was happening. He was being taught. He was being mentored by our Lord Jesus. It's so important. When you come to know the Lord, you don't just, you can't, oh, I want to be just like you, pastor. All right, sit down right here. Stay here for a few years. Stay here for a while. Listen and learn and grow. Be mentored. And he was being mentored. How long was he with the disciples? About three years. The same amount of time that he walked and talked with them. He was spending time with, with Saul, training him to become who he's to become. Verse 26, 926 says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. Hey, three years have passed now. They, they hadn't heard anything about this guy. But we know who he was. I get why they were concerned. Verse 27, but Barnabas, the man of comfort, the man of concern. I love Barnabas. I want to be like Barnabas. He took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them that he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him. He had spoken to Jesus. And now he has preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Verse 29, And he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, which, by the way, the apostle Paul, or Saul, he was a Hellenist at one time. But he disputed with them, and they attempted to kill him again. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus to go out and minister. It was kind of like his first ministry journey. He sent him out to Caesarea and out to Tarsus. Verse 31 then the churches throughout the Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. Notice they're not just staying in Jerusalem anymore. Now, look, they're in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. They had peace and were edified. We're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they multiplied. Why were they multiplying? Because people want what they had. That's why people come and they see what we have. They want what we have. Verse 32, now it came to pass as Peter went through all the parts of the country. Oh, let's stop there for a second. Peter, he was the guy that was really heading up the Jerusalem church. He's been kind of the main mouthpiece. Look at him now. He's on the move. <laughs> I think he got the point. After Stephen's death and the church blew up and he's, yeah, Lord, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go and I'll form churches, I'll band people together, I'll do whatever you call me to do. And look at him now, he's out there. He's out there moving. He went through all the parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwell in Lydia. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make up your bed. And he arose immediately. 
Now understand, when you're reading this history, you know, it's not like you telling your kids, all right, make your bed. Roll up your bed, throw it on your back, you're healed. That's what he was saying. So all who dwelt in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. A, a revival goes on wherever he goes. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Ladies, don't ever name your children Dorcas. <laughs> Tabitha is okay, but don't tell them that in Hebrew it actually means Dorcas, because you're going to say, hey, Dork. No, you don't want to do that. I would, I would drive my sister up a wall if her name was Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. We have a lot of women like, like Dorcas right here in our church. Well, let's call her Tabitha. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. Imagine someone precious in our midst. I'll pick on Robin because she's not here. She is like Tabitha. She works so hard for everyone else, making quilts for the kids down at the, at the juvenile hall, making quilts for precious little girls like you, making just any other ladies, you know, but she's the instigator. She's the motivator. She's the one getting everybody together. She is just like it. And if she up and died, how would we be? You know, yeah, we know she's going to heaven, but this church would suffer the loss. We would be mourning and going, we'd be doing exactly what they did. And listen, verse 30, 38, and since Lydia was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent for him, imploring him not to delay, but to please come. All right, we're in distress, but somebody go get Peter. I don't know, maybe something could happen. We don't know. Just go get Peter. Then Peter arose and he had come and he brought them to the upper, to the upper room. And all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics, the, you know, the garments and the quilts that I'm going to call her Tabitha had made while she was with them. So what did Peter do? He put them all out. I think Peter was remembering something that Jesus did. Do you remember that time? where the little girl had died and they took her in a room and they prepared her body. You know, they, that's what they did in this culture. They didn't have, you know, mortuaries where they did embalming and, and all that. The, the people had to take care of the, their, their own family and they'd put them in a bed and they would bathe them and they would clothe them and make them look and feel as comfortable as they could just before they bury them. That was their culture. That's what's happening here. They had, they had put Tabitha and washed her body and put her in a bed and dressed her and they're ready for burial. They prepared her. They're ready. That's why she's in this room. But Jesus, or Peter here, remembers what Jesus did with that little girl. Do you guys remember? All the mourners were around, and he cast everybody out of the room. He said, everybody out. Everybody out. And he said to the little girl to arise, and she arose. So why do you think he puts them out? Peter is, is mimicking Jesus here. He he's walks in the room. He said, all right, all you mourners, move on out. Because he doesn't want any doubt in the air. He wants only belief. He wants only him and the Lord. And he, he just wants belief. But Peter put them all out. Verse 40. And he knelt down and he prayed. 
And he knelt down and he prayed. And he knelt down and he prayed. People, this is where the power of God comes from. Is down on your knees and you pray. That's where the power is infused from. That's where it comes from is when you pray. And that's what Peter was doing. He got down on his knees and he prayed. And I'm sure he was saying, praying, Lord, please don't. Lord, I'm going to do what you did, Lord. And I'm going to believe. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, (laughs) she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout of all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And even that last statement's interesting one. He stayed with Simon a tanner. He was going to stay there for a while and minister to these people. A revival is about to happen. I mean, Tabitha's alive. Things are jumping. Things are happening. But a tanner in a Jewish culture is a person that's considered unclean. If you ever go into a tanner's booth or residence, it's not going to smell very well. That's what he does. He kills animals, tans them, and, and works the hide. But here, Peter is staying with Simon the tanner. And I believe that God is doing something in Peter's heart. In fact, we're going to see in the very next chapter that God is really going to do some things in Peter's heart and what's clean and what's not clean. We're going to see it. And he's going to, the greatest miracle of all, this isn't it. The greatest miracle of all comes in chapter 10 where a centron, a Roman centron, gets saved. That's the biggest miracle of all is when someone gets saved, truly born again. That's the biggest miracle of all. And we've got to realize that. Yeah, it's wonderful to see people raised from the dead and and the man got up and walked. Yeah, praise God, those are awesome. But wait till next week when you see a centron. We'll talk about what a centron is next week. A Roman official accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's amazing. That's a miracle. Amen. I hope you guys are enjoying this study going through because we got to grow and we got a long ways to go to get through it. Tony, would you come back up? Play for us a little something. And while you guys are thinking about this, I want you to be thinking about your personal testimony. I want to challenge you. Tell your testimony to somebody this week. Tell your testimony. Share what God has done. Who you were before you came to Christ. You're not bragging about what you used to do. I was a pretty horrible guy. But my testimony is important. Because there's going to be someone out there that I'm going to meet that is just like me. That is in the same position that I was. And they look at me and they say, Pastor, how do you know? You're just a pastor. You know, you don't, you don't do nothing. Oh, really? You don't know who I was. 
Because who I was is not who you see today. I was you. And I was broken and I was lost. Let me share with you my testimony. And you all have one. I want you to start working on that and thinking about it and sharing your testimony. Will you do that? Amen. Tony, sing for us. <laughs>